Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any hosts or guests' individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Welcome. Thank you for joining us this evening. I'm Diane Kennedy. And I'm Rebecca Banks. And we are the hosts of the Bright Not Broken radio show. This evening, we have a very exciting program planned for you. We are going to be talking about twice exceptional kids and overexcitabilities. If that's a new term for you, please stay tuned as we get ready to let you know what overexcitabilities are and how they affect our children. Our guest this evening is scheduled is Dr. Linda Silverman from the Gifted Development Center. Dr. Silverman has uh, run into a snag. We are hoping she will be here any moment. In the meantime, we're going to get started and talk about um, what Dr. Linda Silverman, first of all, has added to the field. She is the director of the Gifted Development Center in Colorado. She does testing on uh, gifted children, profoundly gifted children. She is involved in research. She has a brand new book coming out uh, in the very near future called Gifted 101, for professionals, and um, we are so excited to have her. She has advice for parents and professionals alike. We have used her resources throughout our own book, Bright Not Broken, as well as on our website, our Facebook. She has just gotten tremendous response. She is one of our favorite resources, and um, we would like to start tonight, as we're waiting for Linda, to um, Dr. Silverman to let you know what overexcitabilities are. And uh, with that, Rebecca, would you like to begin and, and kind of brief us on overexcitabilities? Certainly. I just want to say that uh, Dr. Silverman has an insight into giftedness that is just so sensitive, so understanding, and so encompassing. In her work, she goes, um, she understands giftedness from beginning at above average to the profoundly gifted and she has worked quite a bit on developing um, the IQ tests that are used, the WISP, the WISP, things like those. She is a consultant with that quite often and so she understands uh, discrepancies in testing and how important it is as we're looking for twice exceptionalities but she also understands um, some of the the underlying personality traits that that drive our gifted children and our twice exceptional children in particular. And one of these are, uh, well, uh, uh, one group of these would be the overexcitabilities. Um, We all know as moms uh, that our gifted kids are intense as well as sensitive. These kids um, 
are best described as uh, just too everything. They're too perfectionistic. They're often on the move. They're too busy. They're too sensitive. Um, in fact, Dr. Silverman says the gifted are too everything, too sensitive, too intense, too driven, too honest, too idealistic, too moral, too perfectionistic, too much for other people at times. And those intensities and sensitivities are what um, have been explained by a theoretician, uh, Dr. Dabrowski. And what Dr. Silverman has done is taken Dabrowski's concept of overexcitabilities and applied them to gifted individuals. Um, overexcitabilities are um, the sensitivities that children are born with in the world. For instance, there are five overexcitabilities and, um, that um, our kids exhibit. The first one's intellectual overexcitability. And these are the extremely inquisitive kids. Um, they're the ones who... Uh, oh, excuse me, Diane, let me interrupt you. We have um, Dr. Silverman here on the show. Hi. Wonderful. Hi, Dr. I'm Silverman. sorry I'm late. You're fine. You're fine. It's we are fine. so honored to have you. Becky was just filling in for you, and um, we are just so excited to have you on this evening. How are you? I'm good. Uh, my grandson came in today uh, unexpectedly, and um, so I got a little detained. I'm really sorry to keep you all waiting. Oh, But I'm so happy to be with both of you tonight, Diane and Becky. It's It's wonderful to... To participate in your show, and I loved what you were saying about the overexcitabilities in two week kids. <laughs> oh well, I wasn't. Uh, you have so much more. I was just introducing the the, the five areas of overexcitability. I wondered if you could uh, kind of highlight, and also, if you don't mind, I do want to touch on asynchrony before we get through the interview as well, because I think that's so important to our two kids as well. So, well, it's also um, totally related to Dabrowski's theory, uh, because the uh, the group that came up with the concept of giftedness as asynchrony uh, had met after a Dabrowski training workshop, and uh, the whole idea of intensity of these children was infused in that definition. And we said that the most asynchronous children are those who are very highly gifted and have disabilities. So Mm -hmm. we began to shape the notion of asynchrony from the intensities or overexcitabilities that gifted children have. And we see that this Intensity appears to increase with intelligence and it increases with twice exceptionality. So our twice exceptional kids are also among our most overexcitable kids. They have psychomotor overexcitability, which is a physical manifestation of their excitement. It can show up with a leg that's moving all the time, so you don't want to have a glass of milk on the table under one of those. (laughs) Or a child who just enjoys physical movement and always is enjoying moving. Some of these kids do well on exercise balls or with a fidget. But movement is part of the way that they learn. Some of them pace. Some of them rock. All of that is 
considered psychomotor overexcitability. And then the sensual overexcitability is like Linus and his blanket. It's the kids who love to touch things and smell and taste and feel and hear and see all of these senses are heightened. So they are often our epicures or the people who delight in unusual smells. They go into a hardware store just to smell everything. <laughs> or they uh, they are uh, have such heightened senses that they can't stand labels on their clothes. They can't mm-hmm. stand seams in their socks. They hate it when one sock is a little bit lower than the other. All of this is a part of sensual overexcitability that we see quite frequently in twice exceptional children. They are also um, in need of beauty and nature, and they have a strong aesthetic sense. They love to have their environment be appealing to their senses. So uh, sensual overexcitability has positives in terms of aesthetic awareness, like an artist has, or negatives, which are similar to the kinds of issues we see with children with sensory processing disorder, the heightened sensitivity that can make them feel overstimulated. Mm-hmm. So you, you get to see both the positive and negative aspects of that. And then uh, imaginational overexcitability also has positive and negative aspects. In its positive form, these children have the most phenomenal fantasy lives. They are into science fantasy, into science fiction. Um, they they can take anything and picture what it would look like upside down, doing something totally different with it than was originally intended. So their creativity is enhanced by this imaginational overexcitability. On the other hand, they're likely to take flights of fans, fantasy and disappear into their fantasy worlds when they're in class and supposed to be paying attention Mm -hmm. to something that doesn't grab their attention as much as their own inner worlds. Or they can be terrified that the uh, socks in their closet are going to turn into vampires in the middle of the night. So (laughs) they are capable of picturing catastrophic events, and uh, that's part of imaginational overexcitability. And they're capable of being visionaries and seeing how the world might be and taking us to a whole new uh, form of life in their future because of their imaginations. And well, then I'm, I'm... In, in intellectual overexcitability is the one that we think of as most related to giftedness, curiosity, Uh, loving to read, loving to learn about theories, analysis, uh, being an independent thinker, uh, thinking about thinking, and uh, being able to understand very complex concepts and translating them. And then the, the piece de resistance is emotional overexcitability. Oh, yes. Some of us have called Dabrowski's theory a theory of emotional development because 
Emotional overexcitability is at the heart of the theory. It's considered the most important of all the overexcitabilities, and it involves empathy, sensitivity, compassion. These are kids who wear their heart on their sleeves. They're instantly hurt when uh, when somebody else is being hurt, not even necessarily themselves. Uh, Anna Marie Roper talked about a child who couldn't get over a teacher ripping up a classmate's paper, never forgave that teacher for doing this. And mm-hmm. it didn't involve that child directly, but it was as horrifying as if it did because they have that level of empathy. So those are the five overexcitabilities in a nutshell. Wonderful, well, wonderful example. Go ahead, Becky. May I ask a couple of questions? Um, you with bet. regard to the emotional overexcitability, are these the children that we see who feel so strongly about social issues as well and social justice? Absolutely. And um, they, well, they that just take be, on... That, that could be a combination, actually, of mm-hmm. intellectual and emotional overexcitability. And maybe right. a little imaginational thrown in. Because uh, if you talk about an endangered species, they can imagine what the world would be like without that species. And they're horrified and want to protect that animal from from extinction. Uh, if we talk about... Um, uh, what might be happening in a third world country and how these children might be living, the child with intellectual overexcitability is also able to perceive the consequences of the the, the choices that we make in our culture that affect all the other cultures. That's a complex idea. And it's one thing to feel the pain of someone else. It's another thing to be able to trace the interdisciplinary and interdependent qualities that uh, perhaps they see our lifestyle as having created some of the pain in other parts of the world. That's amazing. The um, emotion, the imaginational overexcitability. When you were talking, I could just picture certain students of mine who have that that unique ability to take a concept and extend it so so magically, almost so imaginatively that it takes and compels the class to a whole new level. And I truly, truly appreciate it when. These kids come out and, and envision it metaphorically, or they take a concept and and they can create a picture that that is just it's just a whole new way of seeing things. And um, they are just a, just an amazing breath of fresh air in the classroom. At one level, on the other hand, when you have something like nine eleven that happened, they can they become don't get so over engrossed. It very easily. They don't. No, they don't. And so, like you said, for each of these, I think there's a flip side that um, that our two e kids can just they they can go one way or the other, and it's it's the ones that that are just I don't know. There's such a there's they're so mistaken oftentimes too with disabilities. Don't you think these can be mistaken for a disability? 
and diagnosed as ADHD or something to that effect when, in fact, these are traits of giftedness that we're seeing? Sometimes I think it depends on a whole constellation of factors. And I think that there's a continuum so that a gifted child who is athletic will have a great deal of psychomotor overexcitability and um, enjoys fast games and sports and enjoys uh, bungee jumping and other uh, activities that involve a lot of risks. And uh, kids with ADHD are similar in some respects to these kids with just the psychomotor overexcitability. But the difference is, as I, I mean, we really don't know what, how, where we, where the, the fine line can be drawn. Um, I have to tell you a funny story. I, um, a number of us went to visit John Rady and Ned Hallowell, uh, Bobby Gilman and Annette Sheely and I, uh, did what we called a pilgrimage to find out why so many gifted children seem to have these ADHD symptoms, whether it's real ADHD or not. And Ned said that there's pseudo-ADHD. And that's when a gifted child is in a classroom that's not stimulating and they disappear into their own world and they're distracted and uh the lack of engagement, the boredom in the classroom can create the symptoms of ADHD. And uh, we we talked to several people on this trip, and John Rady had a completely different viewpoint. He just said, you know, I've written a book on the social brain. I work with all of these incredibly brilliant people who have ADHD symptoms and I really don't know what the connection is. So uh, one time he came to town and he decided he wanted to visit the Gifted Development Center. And it was during the time that Michael Piachowski was in town teaching a course on emotional development and emotional giftedness for us. So I thought, this is perfect. We will get Mr. Overexcitability and Mr. ADHD in the <laughs> same room with 20 people and we'll pop the question, how do you know whether it's overexcitability or ADHD? Mm-hmm. And they just both shrugged their shoulders and said, well, you have to take it on a case-by-case basis. <laughs> oh, So I guess there's no easy answer to that question. No, there isn't, but I do think it points to the importance of of professionals um, and educators being trained in aspects and knowledge of giftedness. And overexcitabilities. Yes, exactly. Otherwise, they, they, the, you know, the referral rate for behaviors that can be mistaken for ADHD um, just would shoot through the roof and does shoot through the roof because overexcitabilities, it's, it's, it's a relatively... Um, hidden concept in giftedness, don't you think? It's not one that most people well, associate with. Well, it's starting to be more and more known. And Good. I had a I had a theory. It's not nothing I've been able to prove or anything, but it was just trying to make sense of what the interaction was with overexcitabilities and twice exceptional kids. And I'll it, it's like spinning a tale that I'll share with you. 
I think these children are born with tremendous overexcitabilities. They're innate variables of temperament. They come with the territory of giftedness. And a child who has all of these overexcitabilities that's part of their nature is probably going to be overstimulated chemically and uh, in terms of their sensitivities to their environment in ways that other children are not. So Mm -hmm. one of the first things that I've been noticing at my office is that a lot of these kids have had ear infections. And I think that the overexcitabilities may lead to digestive issues and Mm -hmm. respiratory issues and uh, maybe compromised immune uh, systems and different um, allergies that that arise. So I think it begins with the overexcitabilities. I think the overexcitabilities lead to allergies. I think the allergies lead to congestion, ear infections, sinus infections, need for antibiotics quite a bit when they're toddlers, and that uh, all of these antibiotics that the kids are taking, the more antibiotics they take, the more they tend to be uh, sort of hyper as a response to the antibiotics. Again, this is all just conjecture on my part, but it was just my ruminating about how how did all of this work? And I think that these twice exceptional kids in particular have a great many of the overexcitabilities and that, that when they're younger, they don't have an idea of how to control all that excess internal energy. Mm-hmm. And as they get older, And I think we see this in twice exceptional kids and in kids who have been diagnosed with ADHD. As they get to be in puberty or in young adulthood, and we're now talking about later brain maturation with this population too, um, we start to see them have more control over all of this powerful inner energy. And it takes a while. It takes a while to mature to know how to handle all of the impact of these overexcitabilities. And if I can jump in here, um, I I love the conversation about Dr. Rady. I've actually had an opportunity to meet him several times myself, and I absolutely could see um, visually what you were describing by putting them in the room together. But something I wanted to add that I think, um, and I, I do like Dr. Hallowell's take, in, and I know we've pointed that out, um, Rebecca and I, in our book, that they have a very positive look on these children um, past the label. They are looking at the positive sides. and Absolutely. And so mm-hmm. they're sharing. And for us, our concern, both as we began our journey into ADHD, it's how Rebecca and I both began over almost 20 years ago with our kids, 
I think the the thing to be really cautious about is, and we've used this term here before and gotten a lot of response about it, the oppositional defiant um, angle of ADHD, if you will, because it's almost always, uh, sometimes up to 100% attached to ADHD. And that label has so much negativity attached to it. It it takes a lot of these overexcitabilities we're talking about and puts them into the strictly behavioral realm and puts them into a realm that is looking at a willfulness. I mean, it's even been stated that these kids know what to do. They choose not to um, and in their self-centeredness, which is just appalling to us in knowing, as you mentioned earlier, some of these children have the sweetest disposition. I mean, they want to save the world. I know that's very true of my son. He as you all were discussing the taking on world causes, um, he definitely is there. And, and those sorts of things just really move him to an intense emotional feeling of wanting to help others. And when we attach this behavioral issue to them, and we and it's basically what we believe, a misunderstanding. And well, that, I haven't... Um... I haven't got a great deal of experience with oppositional defiant disorder, nor do I have, nor am I an expert on ADHD. So I, I really don't feel like I can respond um, intelligently to that. But I can tell you that the kids that I see who might look defiant are actually children, in my estimation, who have sensory processing disorder and mm-hmm. are totally overloaded and overstimulated. And defiance is their only way of self-preservation when their system is on overload. Mm-hmm. And I tell uh, teachers to always have a place in the classroom where a child who's overstimulated can retreat with headset and uh, quiet music or something that will calm them down and let them mm-hmm. go to that place when they start to feel themselves get overwhelmed. I I don't know enough about oppositional defiant disorder to really speak to it, but I do know that children who are overstimulated and overwhelmed will look defiant. They will that they look can look that way. And, and I think that that's our point, that we, as we stress, just the wonderful things about the explanation that you offer from looking at it through the eyes of a gifted child that may share similar characteristics that we see, it's so imperative to understand the the whole picture and to understand how sometimes um, everything that looks like behavior isn't always behavior or there may be um, a multitude of understanding, and of course, you know we we are not at all uh, stating either that there are not behavior issues and that need to be identified and addressed. But we just have to be careful that we don't overlook them and um, and overlook it too simply in these children who are so much more complex and have oh, absolutely so many gifts to offer. On the way uh, back home from work today, I had this thought that in the 21st century, at least a little ADHD in the personality has to be a plus, because look at the kind of multitasking that this generation, that the teens, the elementary school kids, 
the young adults, look at how they multitask. That is one of the positive features of Mm -hmm. ADHD, the ability Mm -hmm. to multitask. And it seems like it's a requirement in modern culture to be able to multitask. Absolutely. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, definitely, definitely. And I think um, as I think when I consider overexcitabilities and the potential for uh, misunderstanding them, I just, you know, I think of what uh, Dr. Susan Daniels and um, Michael Piazza explained. Yes. Um, I was just thinking that too often intensity is is seen almost negatively as an indicator that there's there's something that's going to go wrong awry with the development rather than that there is great potential here and i just um would hope that parents and educators and professionals as as we watch these these wonderful children develop early on we we watch um without judgment and looking for potential as well as um the poten- as well as um the possibility that something may be wrong that hopefully that we can encourage and embrace what may very well be right and um and unique and 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 wonderful about the child and that the intensity is actually going to become something marvelous that can serve well, I, I'm glad uh, you brought that up the developmental potential involved in overexcitabilities because the overexcitabilities are only part of Dabrowski's theory. They actually lead to something. They're in the personality built in for a particular purpose. And those individuals that have these heightened sensitivities, intensities, that we call overexcitabilities, especially intellectual, emotional, and imaginational, that combination is in, in in addition to gifts and talents, lead to developmental potential for moral leadership in adult life, for great creativity, for empathy, for uh, tremendous uh, development of values at, that Dabrowski called multi-level, meaning that they were more evolved than most of society. And I think we have to keep in mind when we look at the other part of the theory, which has to do with the levels of development, that school is not educating for higher-level development. It's educating for conformity to the status quo. And so school is not capable, the whole educational system is not geared to create moral leaders who have higher level values. They really are not able to do that. That has to do with the individual growth potential and the journey, the very hard developmental journey that some individuals undertake in search of becoming the highest uh, example of themselves, the what What is my very best self and how can I become that? Not everyone is going to even ask that question, let alone try to get there. 
But the kids with the overexcitabilities have the seeds of that higher level development born in. They have that. And in childhood and even in young adulthood, others find it very difficult to deal with someone who is very intense. They think that that, that there's something wrong with that. They're uncomfortable around it, unless they're intense themselves. So this level of intensity does lead to uh, the kind of human beings in adult life that we really want our society to have. That's right. I'm so glad you said that. That's just beautiful. That's beautiful. And Dr. Silverman, before we uh, wrap up here this evening, if you could tell our listeners um, where they can find more information about your upcoming conference that will have um, many of these topics involving overexcitabilities and also um, different resources that you offer, your website, and uh, if you can just let us know where where they can find you. Well, our website is www.gifteddevelopment.com with two Ds in the middle, the one at the end of gifted and the one at the beginning of development. And right on the home page, there's information about the Dabrowski, International Dabrowski Congress, which is being held for the first time in Denver from July 19th through the 21st. And um, a number of uh, sessions are devoted to the overexcitabilities. That's one of the four strands. So one strand is on development, and that's very broad. And a second strand is on giftedness. A third strand is on the overexcitabilities. And a fourth strand is on the theory itself, on different aspects of uh, Dabrowski's theory. And I'd say that about half of the sessions are going to be focused on the overexcitabilities, including one by Susan Daniels. And we're going to have uh, her book that she co-edited with Michael Piafsky available at the Congress, and she's going to do a book signing. We've just ordered quite a few copies of Living with Intensity, which is a, just a, a wonderful, wonderful book. It's sold 11,000 copies already. And it's... Uh, wonderful. It's a terrific collection. We also have a whole series of articles on Dabrowski's theory on our website that we just made available free of charge. To uh, All of our articles are now free downloads, so people don't have to pay for them anymore. And um, Michael Piahovsky has written another book called Mellow Out. We only have a few copies of that one left, uh, but he's uh, planning on writing a second edition of it, and hopefully that one will be back out in um, in maybe about six months or so. But uh, Sal Mendaglio is also speaking at the conference, and he's going to do a book signing of Dabrowski's Theory of Positive Disintegration, and that is a wonderful book for anyone who's interested in just understanding more about the theory and the theoretical uh, concepts. So Sale's book and Susan and Michael's book are companion pieces. One is about the theory and the research, and the other is about how do you live with these overexcitabilities. 
And Michael's book is actually called Mellow Out, They Say, If I Only Could, Intensities and Sensitivities of the Young and Bright. So um, look for the second edition of that. It should be coming out within the year. Wonderful. Well, we are just so honored to have you, uh, Dr. Silverman, and your resources have been just wonderful for us to be able to share with our readers and now our listeners. We um, we just value what you do, and we're thankful for it. We would encourage everyone who is listening tonight to share information about your conference. If they're able to attend, um, it will just be just a wonderful, wonderful time of learning. And um, and it is uh, there's information available for parents and professionals. Am I correct about that? There are different levels Absolutely. of information. Absolutely, and we just have arranged to co uh, saying is going to co-sponsor it with us. That's Supporting Emotional Needs of the Gifted. And that's going to enable us to offer continuing education credits for professionals. Oh, wonderful. So it's a very good Congress for parents, educators, therapists, counselors, and researchers. There's quite a bit of research on the overexcitabilities that people will find fascinating. Most of all of it's been done with gifted kids or with two kids. There's one presentation in particular that's being done by uh, Carol Barnes that would be particularly relevant for your group because she's coming all the way from Australia to talk about uh, the twice exceptional and how they're, um, uh, she says, overexcitable or overlooked, and uh, she's talking about the perspective of twice exceptional children who have been misdiagnosed and have been overlooked completely in gifted programs. So mm-hmm. that that there's just one that's specific to um, twice exceptional kids that I think everybody who's listening would be interested in hearing. That's just just sounds wonderful. And did we did mention it's in Denver, Colorado, did we not? We did. Okay, good. (laughs) It's going to be in downtown Denver, right across from the Denver Center for the Performing Arts. So we're also planning a little um, trip to uh, hear Jersey Boys the night before the conference. (laughs) Couldn't couldn't resist that opportunity. Oh, well, we... It sounds like fun. I just wish you two could have been able to join us you oh, our hearts so are broken. Much to it. We we assure you we will be there at the next conference. We um, just had oh. some other circumstances that didn't allow us, but we we encourage everyone um, who can go to please go and please share with us um, on Twitter. And and we thank you uh, all of our friends on Twitter. We want to mention our Twitter chat and everyone who is uh, supportive of our program here as we uh, share this wonderful information um, with Dr. Silverman. We're just so thankful for her. We know that several of our readers have commented on actually some of them. Uh, Dr. Silverman have told us that as a result of our book, they found you and and have uh, sought you out in Colorado. And we're oh, that's wonderful. We are just and I just want to thank you because I want our listeners to understand that Dr. Silverman's work explains 
so many characteristics of gifted adults that that <laughs> I've found so much about myself and my friends um, just by reading your work. You have such a compassion and understanding for the gifted adult who may have been misunderstood their whole life and uh, just calling out, some, especially females. There's just something about gifted women that um, you you just you just seem to strike a chord in um, the, the things that we share, people really respond to. And I want to thank you for all your work and your dedication. Well, thank you. Those, this is my life's passion. And I believe that gifted women are not, they never realize it, that, that uh, we're gifted. It, it, it's like, how many patents do you have? What's your uh, six-figure salary? Not. And uh, the kinds of things that gifted women are involved with just does, doesn't lead necessarily to fame or to people knowing their names. And when you're not in the public eye, people think you're not gifted. But I look at giftedness as a lifelong endowment of abstract reasoning and greater overexcitability and empathy. And, yes, uh, I think that this is a 24 seven birth to death situation that makes gifted people have a different experience. So this is something I will do till the day I die. Well and thank you for it. Absolutely. And Dr. Silverman, when you mentioned that, you know, we we put this in our book and I actually tweeted about this today. The three things that you use to sum up a gifted person when I found them and that's how I found you, we had our first discussion and that was they're too everything, too perfectionistic. Right. Those, <laughs> those three things and and it just summed up my children, my family, my work, and myself. And I was so thankful. And uh, as as Rebecca was, too, I know both of us just related to you on a personal note and a professional note. Well, it's wonderful to be involved with you because you're both doing such extraordinary things in, in helping kids in very, very important ways. So it's a mutual appreciation society. I, I'd like to just share one thing that I wrote recently for uh, the Sang website. Oh, and please they do. asked me to write about giftedness in adults. And I just wrote, giftedness is not what you do or how hard you work. It is who you are. You think differently. You experience life intensely. You care about injustice. You seek meaning. You appreciate and strive for the exquisite. You are painfully sensitive. You are extremely complex. You cherish integrity. Your truth-telling has gotten you in trouble. Should 98% of the population find you odd, seek the company of those who love you just the way you are. You are not broken. You do not need to be fixed. You are utterly fascinating. Trust yourself. Beautiful. Just beautiful. So that's a takeoff on bright but not broken. 
Thank you so much, and thank, thank you, you for being our guest this evening. And we will look forward to um, having you back in the future as we tackle other topics around giftedness. And and um, we wish you the best at the Dabrowski Conference, and we'd love to hear all about that through our social media and other places. And you have a, just a wonderful evening. Thank you again for being on the Bright Not Broken radio show. Okay, take care. Good evening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.